Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemmy.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during the season. And now, a special message by Pastor Ed Stetzer. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a backstory that's going on here that why Jesus would actually say this, why Jesus would use these words. We're to follow the example of Christ when we serve other people. We're going to look at how Jesus came to serve and ultimately to save and why ultimately that matters. In fact, Jesus came to serve and to save, and if you're saved, you're actually called to serve. I'm going to explain all those words, and I'm really going to invite you today to join the team here at Christ Fellowship. Inside your, inside your program, you'll find one of these cards that you can take a moment and fill out. And, and, and I'm going to encourage you that if you're not serving somewhere, just let you know as we go through the message, I'm going to encourage you to find a place to serve. Now, I want us to look first at the broader context of Mark chapter 10. Uh, verse uh, 45, but I'm just going to read kind of the verses that lead up to it. It's not going to be on your screen. I just want you to kind of kind of listen and kind of go along, because we're going to get to it uh, verse by verse, as we do here at Christ Fellowship. But to start, I just want you to hear the story. So just listen with me and hear the story. It says, then, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Just listen along. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do? Jesus asked, and they replied, let us sit at your right hand, and the other at your left in your glory. And you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom they have been prepared. So Jesus says, he goes on and says this. So then, then the disciples, when the ten heard this, remember there are 12 disciples, this is James and John, the other ten. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know, you know that those, uh, that those who are regarded as rulers among the Gentiles lord it over them, and high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus actually says, you want to be great? Here's the way to be great. He uses the word great. If you want to be great, here's the way to be great. And what we want to look at today is what does true greatness actually look like? And we're going to find out as we look more closely at Mark chapter 10. Because Jesus says that if you want to be great, this is what it looks like. So I want you to be great. I want you to follow the example and the model of Jesus and for greatness to be something with which we aspire. So to do that, we're going to look at three things. And the third thing, we're going to really dig in. But the first thing I want you to see, number one on your outline, you can find your outline inside your program if you'd like to follow along. Matter of fact, take that out and just wave it at me. Just know, I know you have it. There it is, right? There you go. Take that out and you can jot these notes down. We're going to use it a little more later when we say a sentence together. But number one in our outline is wrongly considered greatness. Wrongly considered greatness. Now, let's take a look at, again, verses 35 through 37 of Mark chapter 10. Here's what it says, right? Jesus is speaking, and it says, uh, excuse me, James and John are speaking. It says, then James and John, 
Now, there are really three disciples that are super close to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. You hear their names a lot in the Gospels. So Peter's not here, but James and John come to Jesus and say, they're sons of Zebedee, came to him, and they say this. I really love what they say. Matter of fact, what they say makes me smile and even laugh. Here's what they say. They say, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, I remember like my five-year-old saying that to me, right? says, Dad, no matter, here's the deal, Dad, I, I, no matter what I ask next, I need you to say yes to it. And you're the worst parent ever if you say, okay, whatever you ask next, I'm going to give, I'm going to do whatever you say. But that's what children say, right? So here they are, James and John, they come to Jesus and say, we want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Jesus makes sure, <laughs> Jesus isn't fooled by this. He doesn't say, okay, whatever you ask next, I'll give to you. So they say, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus asked, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now, now I want you to know that there's, there's a whole background to this whole right and left thing, right? So in that day, being seated at the right hand was the most important position of all, right? So that was the position of power, that was the position of influence, because most people are right-handed. So the king, the leader, would sort of reach that way. Now, how many of you are left-handed? Just raise your left hand. Uh, there you go, there you go. It's okay, let's keep your hands up. Uh, the, the, just so you know, uh, left-handed people are in the right minds, because that's kind of where it comes from. But also, the left-handed people were actually sometimes seen as like witches back in the day. True story. Uh, the word in Latin for left-handed is, is actually from the word we get today, sinister. So if you're left-handed, it actually comes from the word sinister. So if you're sitting next to one of those people who raised their left hand just a minute ago, I'm not saying maybe you married them, maybe you created them. I have two daughters who are left-handed as well, by the way. And so, so, so we, but, but, but here's the thing. So, so back in that culture, not saying it's right or wrong thing, it was a cultural thing, is that the right hand was the most significant position of power other than the center position. The center position was where the king or the queen would sit. And then the right hand was the most influential, and the left hand was the second most influential. So James and John, acting in these mature ways, do whatever we have. No matter what we say, do whatever we say. Jesus is like, nah, tell me what you want. And so what's interesting, though, is Jesus didn't rebuke them, but he told them that they would have to grow through much. They'd go through much suffering. That's not on your screen, but let me just read it. It says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. So they, they want to sit his right and his left, right? But, but you don't know what you're asking. Because can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? The cup is often a reference to a suffering. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus in the garden prays, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. In other words, he didn't want to drink of the cup of suffering. And the baptism is a baptism by fire, a baptism of suffering. So Jesus says to them, you don't want, to, you don't want this. And, and it says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? We can. So, so again, they're, they're hearing that there are hard times that are coming. We can, they say, they answer. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup and can be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. So, so why? Why does he say that? Because actually, that's, these, these go through, I mean, Peter, excuse me, James and John, I mean, they go through persecution, they go martyrdom, I mean, they, they go through some hard exile, John's exiled after being persecuted under an emperor, and so there's a persecution that's coming. They're going to drink the drink and be baptized with the baptism that Jesus was. They're going to face some of these realities. He says, you will drink the cup and you will be baptized with the baptism, 
But to sit at the right or left is not mine to give. Right, this divine sense that this is something God's ultimately going to grant, but he says these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, not a lot of detail there, but other than telling James and John that, listen, you're going to suffer, but I can't give you the right hand and the left hand. You're going to suffer with me. But then Jesus is pointing out to them that wrongly considered greatness is basically being put into place or a position of power and leadership without having gone through the challenge and the struggle and the pain to get there. But Jesus is not done there, but he's reminding them from the beginning that James and John, you rushing up to me and saying, give me whatever we ask, it's just not enough. And then, then you need to understand that there's suffering and difficulty, but even when you say yes to that, those places are not mine to give. So number two talks about why. See, there's an upside-down greatness, right? So there's wrongly considered greatness, but then Jesus is pointing out that in the kingdom of God, it's not like it is everywhere else. So Jesus says this. Well, first, the ten come to him, right? So remember, there's 12 disciples at this time. Ten are not there, just James and John are there. And so we know that the other ten are gone. So when the ten heard about this, they became indignant. Now, don't miss this. They didn't become concerned about the sins of their friends. They weren't concerned that they had wrongly ordered priorities. They were indignant, which probably means that they were upset that they didn't think of this first. They were indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together, kind of had a family meeting, I guess. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority with them. So Jesus goes and points to the world, right? They're living in a world where they're oppressed by the Romans, Gentile rulers who lord over them, who, who with a whim can have them killed or whatever else it may be. But he says, not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you. At this point, James and John are like, yes, yes. Whoever wants to become great among you. They're all there, all 12 of them now. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. The ten were indignant. They weren't righteously offended. They were indignant because they didn't think of this first. But in the kingdom, they are reminded that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And this is a recurring theme in the teaching of Jesus, that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Which leads us to where I want to spend the majority of our time together. Number three is truly understood greatness. And this is the passage we read a minute ago. I want you to read it out loud with me again. Let's take a look at it on the screen. It's Mark 10, 45. Read it with me. It says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now don't miss this. We're going to leave it on the screen for just a moment. Don't miss the connection here between serving and salvation. Because right here in this verse, the Son of Man, which is one of the phrases to describe Jesus in the New Testament, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. Okay, that's good. That's helpful. But then, and to give his life. As a ransom for many, ransom means then what it meant now. Somebody's paying for your rescue. Someone's paying for you to be freed. And Jesus is the ransom payment. He dies on the cross for your sin and in your place. But don't miss how in Mark 10, 45, these things are connected together. I don't want you to miss that Jesus came to serve the hurting and to be a ransom for the lost. 
Serve and save are connected in the life of Jesus, and serve and save are connected in the life of his followers, right? Jesus models, and the New Testament later teaches, that you are saved to serve. Jesus came to save and serve, and if you are saved, you will serve. So there's a connection there with Jesus' saving work and his serving work, and there's a connection with Jesus saving you and you serving him. Now, why is this important? Well, remember, too, that there are three disciples here, kind of the inner circle, the closest three to Jesus, and their names are Peter, James, and John. And so James and John had already kind of made their play at greatness. We want to sit at your right hand. We want to sit at your left hand. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you got to serve others. And so Peter wasn't there at that time, but Peter's obviously a significant figure in the New Testament. So Peter later on, he was with the ten. So the two, James and John, make this play for greatness. And Jesus says, that's not how it's done. And, and then the ten come back and are like, we wish we'd have thought about that. But Jesus tells them, here's how it's really done by serving others. And Peter gets the message. Now the other disciples too do as well. But we know Peter gets the message because he actually writes about it in a letter he writes. It's in 1 Peter Chapter 4, here's what he says, right? Take a look on your screen. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Now, this is Peter, one of the ten who missed the original power play but came in afterwards indignant, and this is him writing later, decades later. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter writes about this, and we have to ask the question, how to be great through service? How to be great through service? How are we to do this? Right? Because this is something that I think is so essential that we don't miss because when we are serving others, it's an opportunity for greatness. Now, some of you immediately say, Ed, I don't believe that to be true. I mean, that, maybe that's a religious thing. Maybe that's sort of that church. But I want you to know that even the world is seeing and noticing this as well. Let me give an example. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Suddenly, I need waffle fries in front of me with some nuggets and a large sweet tea. Oh, Chick-fil-A, you set me free. That's a Tim Hawkins song. Set along to Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Well, here's the thing. This week, the San Antonio airport banned Chick-fil-A from the airport. Now, um, they did this because Chick-fil-A believes, like Christ Fellowship believes, about things like the biblical teaching about marriage, and they give uh, money, donations to groups like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and more. And so they get banned from the San Diego, no, excuse me, the San Antonio airport this week. And so this week I end up on the news because uh, Christian Broadcasting Network calls me and says, why do they keep growing if people keep banning them? The mayor of Chicago in the area where I live said, we don't want Chick-fil-A values in our town, right? Which to me is just a tragedy because all the people in Chicago are missing waffle fries, which will change your life. Now, mind you, I, I, Chick-fil-A, which is in the news occasionally for this, is, is, has actually grown now. It's larger than 
than Wendy's or our hometown favorite, Burger King. Right, so so now again, I'm I'm a Burger King guy. Right, don't misunderstand. I'm I'm all in favor uh, of the Whopper, but those waffle fries. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But I'm a former Burger King employee, so I'm standing with my people. But you got to ask the question: Why does Chick Fil A keep growing? I mean, the waffle fries are great, and that whole shake lemon thing they do—it's life changing. But 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 here's the thing: Why do they keep growing? Because these people, matter of fact, this is what I said to CBN and I ended up on television for. I said, because these people keep serving well. Right? So you go to a Chick-fil-A and, 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 and you say, thank you. They say, my pleasure. I mean, they always say my pleasure. Matter of fact, we go to the drive-thru and we try to beat them to the my pleasure. Right? So we like, I would like to order a Chick-fil-A and, and we're going to enjoy it because it's my pleasure. And they say, my pleasure. And they, I mean, they, I think they like have to say my pleasure. They go back to the re-education camps. I don't know. My pleasure. Um, but you know what they've done? I mean, you, I was talking to Pastor Rick this morning. He's like, I, I went to the airport recently and there was a, a, a restaurant right next to Chick-fil-A selling probably better chicken sandwiches. But the line at Chick-fil-A was so long. Why? Because they serve well. They have seen that if you keep making good food and serving people well, they might say in Chicago and New York, the mayors of Chicago and New York City have both said, you are not welcome here because of your biblical values. As a matter of fact, they say their core value is honoring God as a company. So when, when the mayor of Chicago and my town says you're not welcome here I think then then that speaks something about us but you know what they just keep serving people or maybe this maybe you've read maybe you're a business leader and you've read uh, Jim Collins book good to great and good to great he talks about what's called a level five leader and when asked about it he said what does that describe and he said well we wanted we talked about using the word servant leader but we thought people would misunderstand that the level five leader is the leader of a great company so we thought people would misunderstand that because there's also a determined will there, but deeply humble and serving others. Those are the great CEOs that Jim Collins, writing research on secular companies, says that those who have this humble serving attitude with this will to also grow the company, that those are the people who are succeeding. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, says you want to be great? Be a servant to others. And the challenge is, is it's counterintuitive, and sometimes we don't want to do it. See, when you, when you use your gifts, it's for God's glory, for the good of others, and for your good. See, it's better for you to live that way. Matter of fact, I want you to look at this. I want you to look at with me, and let's go in depth for that last verse. Remember, James and John started this problem. Peter's going to help us finish this and finish well, because in 1 Peter chapter 4, there are four things I want us to quickly go through, right? You can jot them in your notes. I'm going to ask you to say them along with me. The first thing... All have gifts. Would you say those three words with me? All have gifts. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Each of you. Now, I looked it up in the Greek, and I'm thinking, maybe, is this, could this be true? That each of you, you know, maybe it's, maybe, it doesn't, maybe it's something different in the Greek, because most churches I know are filled with people who are more passive spectators than they are active participants in serving one another. So maybe there's something in the Greek. So I looked it up in the Greek, and you know what each of you translates literally from the Greek? Each of you. I can't, there's no loophole here, right? So take just a moment and poke the person next to you and say, he's talking about you right here, right? All right, some of you poked a little too much. Some of you just said, I'm going to pass on the poke. But either way, it's fine. Okay, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Yet for most people, they come to see the show, not to engage in the serve. Now listen, I'm, I, I want to say to you, Christ Fellowship, what a great church and a higher level of serving than most churches. But you know what happens when you're a great church? 
customers of great churches come to your church. And they come and they, I mean, just think about this. Maybe you dropped off your children this morning and these people in t-shirts and, and badges greeted you and, and, and your kids are right now learning from somebody who's teaching them. Or, or, or maybe there's some ministry opportunity during the week that the church is engaged and involved in. Or maybe you worship with our amazing worship leadership. Or maybe you've been blessed by Pastor Rick's teaching. Let me say to you, all of these things are taking place because somebody is serving you. And the challenge is, yeah, and so let me just say, at Christ Fellowship, we need more of you to serve, but that's really not the primary reason you should serve. The primary reason you should serve is because this is what the Bible teaches about true greatness. Each of you, it says, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And 1 Corinthians 12, 7 puts it this way. Now to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everyone here and watching at each of our campuses and watching online, all of us have been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to be used for purposes to bless others. And true greatness is found in finding and using your gift for God's glory. And the common good doesn't happen when people who are gifted don't use their gifts. And statistically, the majority of people in the majority of churches are not using their gifts to serve others. So I want us to build a sentence here. We've started with all have gifts, so let's say that, but let's go on to letter B as well. Ready? First, all have gifts. Letter B, God intends you to use. Let's say it again. Ready? All have gifts God intends you to use. So now it gets personal, right? Here's what it says in verse 10, the second part. It says, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So you're a steward. Some Bible translations translate that manager. You are a manager of the gifts that God has given you. And will you manage them well by using them to serve others, or will you manage them poorly? I remember the first time I became a manager. It was, wait for it, at the Burger King. And I was a college student, and they, they said, Ed, we're going to make you a manager. There were some words before the word manager, but they don't matter. All I heard was the word manager. There was assistant and knight that was before the word manager. Wasn't assistant to the manager, but assistant knight manager. And so there I was, which meant I was in charge for two hours a day. Admittedly, midnight to 2 a.m., but I was in charge for two hours a day. It was me and the fry guy, and I ruled over him with an iron fist. Make sure those fries are hot. But I didn't own the restaurant, right? Davgar Enterprises was the franchise owner, so I, I didn't own the restaurant. I, matter of fact, I, I, I did it for the good of the company, right? I did it for the good of the customers, and yes, it was for my good as well. Good, honest work that helped pay for my car insurance as a young man. Now, why does that matter for us? Because here's the thing I don't want you to miss. You're a manager of the gift that God has given you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a manager. You're going to manage or steward those gifts. Your job is not to pay, pray, and stay out of the way so that the pastors of this church can do the ministry. Your job is to use your gifts for God's glory, for the good of others, and for your good. You see, I want you to experience the joy that so many Christians have experienced here in our church where they're right now using their gifts for God's glory, the good of others, and for their good. I still remember when Tom came to me, and he had gone through a class at our church about understanding your spiritual gifts. 
Tom was a high-up executive in Snap-on Tools. Some of you work in the, maybe repairing cars or other kind of work have seen a Snap-on Tool. And so Tom came and he took these classes and it said, I'm here he is a big executive at this company. And what he learned was is that he really has a passion for teaching children. He grew up with a, without a dad and he really has a passion for teaching boys, young, young, you know, maybe middle school, maybe elementary age. So he took this and he said, and someone said to him, said, would you be willing to pray about teaching the fourth through sixth grade boys? Can I tell you, there's a phrase that when you hear, you should run from. Are you willing to teach the fourth through sixth? People who teach the fourth through sixth grade boys are never heard from again. It's like a black hole of sweaty smells and loud noises, right? But Tom said, yes. I mean, I'd love to pray about that. And he came to me later and he, was, he cried and he said, listen, I, I've been a businessman and, and, I, and I'm a high up businessman as an executive and nobody would ask me, would I use my spiritual gifts to teach? And those fourth through sixth grade boys, he loved on them. He encouraged them. He blessed them. They loved being there with him. Why? Because he found his good gifts. It was for God's glory for the good of those boys, but also for his good. And I want you not to miss that God has gifted you. You need to find and use your gift for God's glory, the good of others, and your good. That's not always easy. Right? But God intends you to use your gifts. Now, why does that matter? Because so many people come to churches and they want to be customers of the religious goods and services that are distributed at the church. And we do it well here. Listen, don't misunderstand. I mean, that worship is amazing, right? We have Pastor Rick's teaching, and our teaching team is great. I mean, there's a lot of blessing that we are receiving. But I want you to know, you're not just blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing to others, to use your gifts for God's glory. Now, why does that matter? Because, I mean, literally, the Bible says God puts you here for that purpose. 1 Corinthians 12.8 says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, that's you, Connected to one another, every one of them, every, each one, you hear it over and over again, just as he wanted them to be. So let's continue to build our sentence, right? We started with all have gifts, then we, we went on to God intends you to use, and then we went on from there ultimately to the next point. Well, let's, let's go through it together. Are you ready? Start at the beginning. All have gifts. God intends you to use, and he empowers you. Say that last part again. And he empowers you. God doesn't just gift you, but he empowers you. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit working through you. There's nothing like it, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's greatness. It's greatness. Because at that moment, you know God's using me. And in verse 11, it says this, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. This is Peter, one of the ten who wasn't there when James and John made their power play. He then reminds us that no, there's a better way, and that's to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. I know that that's a scary thing for some of you. Matter of fact, I think it's probably a scary thing for a lot of people because people have sort of talked themselves out of using their gifts. Sometimes they say they're too busy. I, you know, I get that there are seasons and times in our life when it's hard to engage, and there may be seasons and times when we step out and away. But statistically, most people aren't using their spiritual gifts. Most Christians are unengaged in meaningful ministry and mission. And if that's the case, that means most Christians are missing out on saying, God is really using me. 
I don't want you to miss out on that. It's a blessing. So when I come before you and I say, okay, we're encouraging you to volunteer, you say, well, that must mean they need, need more, more volunteers. Yeah, we need more volunteers at Christ Fellowship. This church is literally run by thousands of volunteers on a weekly basis across all of our campuses, and we need more volunteers across all of our campuses to serve. But I'm not telling you this simply to guilt you into a volunteer thing. There's plenty of places that are doing that, right? The PTA is telling you they need more volunteers. The county fair tells you you need more, more volunteers. This activity needs more. That activity needs more. I'm telling you that in this place, serving in this way, you get to be blessed because the Holy Spirit uses you and you serve in the strength he provides. And I can't promise you that in any other kind of endeavor. This place is unique. Unique in that God is working through you. This is for your good. You can come up and thank me one day and say, thank you, Ed, for allowing me to use my gifts. We don't think of it that way, do we? You think of, oh, here comes the pastor going to ask me to do something. <laughs> so next time one of the pastors comes up to you and says, hey, would you consider doing so-and-so? Say, thank you. Thank you. It's about time you let me use my gift so I can experience the Holy Spirit working through me. Thank you. And then hug them and see the stunned look on their faces. This is for your good, and I want you to be able to tell stories about how God has used you. Finally, let's build that sentence again. Ready? It's going to be on your screen. Say it with me. All have gifts God intends you to use, and he empowers you, finally, to bring God glory, to bring him glory. Say that last part with me again. To bring him glory. One more time. To bring him glory. See, here's how it ends in verse 11. I love this ending of 1 Peter, right? Remember Peter, one of the ten who's indignant because he didn't get in on the power play. James and John did. But we know James, John, and Peter are the key leaders of the disciples. So Peter later writes, so that, if you do this, this is what will happen, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When you don't use your gift, God's not getting his full glory in the church i got to tell you, Christ Fellowship is an amazing church. God has used Christ Fellowship in ways that are immeasurable. You think this is normal. This is not normal. I am a researcher of churches. Christ Fellowship is a freakishly abnormal church. For the glory of God. But you think this is normal. What I want to say to you, it's not. Think of what all that God has done, but think about so much more he could do if the literally thousands of people who attend Christ Fellowship as customers would actually change the way they think and serve together with Christ Fellowship as co-laborers. Customers are many, co-laborers are less. We need more people to say, I want God to be glorified by using my gifts. I'm going to serve him and others so that he might receive his due glory even beyond what Christ Fellowship has done for him now. I mean, that's a powerful reality. And we could say yes and achieve greatness. I want you to be great so that in all things God may be praised in Jesus Christ. See, don't miss this. It's not about you. See, that's the thing that this points to. Greatness is not, look how amazing I am, but it involves you. See, it's not about you, but it involves you. See, this is where the pastor's role is made clear, right? The, the pastors have a role, too. The pastor's job is to help engage you, to help equip you. So, right, the pastors, well, the people are the ministers. They're using their gifts to minister to one another. The people are the ministers. The pastors are the administers who are helping the people do the work of the ministry. 
So today, I'm inviting you to greatness. You're welcome. You, I mean, you don't have to thank me now, but, but go ahead and thank me. Uh, you're welcome. And I'm inviting you to greatness, to be used of God in a powerful way. Again, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says that God has given pastors to equip God's people, that's us, all of our campuses and online, to equip God's people for the works of ministry to the building up of the body in Christ, of the body of Christ. So James and John make a power play. Jesus says, I'll tell you about true greatness. Peter, one of the ten, says later, this is what it looks like. Let each one use his or her gift to serve others as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, when you use your gifts, it's for God's glory, the good of others, and for your good. And we're inviting you right here, these little cards, all of our campuses even have an option online, to serve on a team. That's literally what it says in the front, to serve on a team. You can go to cfmiami.org serve. And here are just a few options. At all campuses, we need people to serve in these here. But there are others as well. You can say, I'd like to find out how to serve in this way. Here's, here's where I'm gifted. I was serving this way. Jesus came to serve and save and connected those. He came as a ransom for all. When he ransomed you, he saved you to serve. Now, that's not the only reason, but he saved you to serve. So these are connected together. Can I ask you to consider right now, am I here as a customer at Christ Fellowship? Come into this store like a Walmart or a Target, but maybe I get tired of it. Maybe the, I didn't like this song or the sermon went too long or was too short, whatever it may be. But you say afterwards, I'm going to go down from Target and go to, go to Walmart down the road. Listen, don't be a customer. Be a co-laborer. Jesus came to serve and to save. If you're saved, you're called to serve. And true greatness is using your gifts to serve others. And yeah, in and through and beyond a church, yes, but also in general to say, I'm going to be one who puts others first, honors God in all we do. But I want to invite you today to say, how can I do that here, now, in, through, and beyond Christ's fellowship? Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that all of us who are saved by the power of the gospel are called to serve in light of its power. Father, as our campus pastors come from all of our campuses, I pray, Lord, that you might indeed cause each of us in each place to ask and respond to, am I a customer? Am I coming here to, to be a place where I receive my religious goods and services in the way that I desire? Or am I a co-laborer? Father, I do pray that you might speak to the hearts of women and men right now here. In the quietness of this moment, I pray that you might speak to them about using their gifts. That may be where they might check off on that card so they might indeed live in true greatness and thank me and the pastors of this church for helping to equip them to serve others, to give God glory for the good of others and for their good. For it's in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake that we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed that message as much as we did. If you want to take your next step as a believer, let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.